did this tradition get started? I'll tell you. I don't know. But it's a tradition. And because of our traditions, every one of us knows who he is and what God expects him to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Torah. I am Rabbi T. Jacobson with NM Streamcast, and we'll, so we'll spend our time talking to our learning stuff and having fun while we learn. You can always send your questions in the comments to our mailbag at letstalktorah.gmail.com, and of course, I will answer as many as I can. And this will be a fun experiment. You can see I don't have my earphones. We're in, I think, Studio B, getting ready for a big move. So I don't hear my background music. If David wants to talk to me, it's just, it's not even behind the glass. I can't even say all my stuff. It's like on the other side of the table. But somehow, I think we will figure it out. So I told you last week that I was going into Muncie, into New York, for my father's yard site. The anniversary passed away about three years ago. And as always, for some of us, when we want to sit quietly and get work done in the airport, of course, somebody comes and bothers us. So, plane is delayed by an hour. Take out my new um, iPad. I'm learning how to use it, making phone calls. Lady comes by. Can you watch my suitcase? I guess I look like a trusty fellow. Yeah, leave it. No problem. She comes back. And she wants to schmooze. And I want to work. But she wins. So she's talking. He says, oh, yeah, I'm going to Muncie. I said, oh, I know Muncie. So she says to me, you know people in Muncie? I said, yeah, I know people in Muncie. Try me. So she says a name. I just say the first name. The name was Carol. It was her aunt. I said, Carol? She, her husband, who also passed away, and, and my parents have been best friends forever. Later, when I met this Carol, she gave me a ride home. She said she was friendly with my parents before she met them because she knew my uncle from Israel. So we're talking 40-plus years. So I now have a new friend sitting in the airport and schmoozing, talking. I never met her here in Detroit. She, not my circles, even my fundraising circles. But it was just, like, amazing. You're sitting in the airport. You don't know anybody. You're minding your own business. But we're friendly, and we say hello, and... Wouldn't you know, I met one of my, my mother's dear friends who gave me a ride home from the airport. Um, a little late, uh, she got lost. I thought she got lost because an older lady, so she doesn't know ways. She always drove one way to the airport, and she decided to follow the ways. Bad idea. She got lost for an hour. But anyways, that's just a nice story. But the better part of the story was the message I got from her during the ride. So I'm sitting in the back. I'm holding on for dear life um, just because she drives wonderful. And um, her niece in the front asks her, you know, Aunt Carol, how are you doing? Now, her husband had passed away, I think, about two years ago. Not 100% sure, but somewhere in that range. And she said a, a fantastic thought, statement, which I think is a good lesson for everybody. She said, when my husband passed away, I decided that I am going to be happy. I am not going to be miserable. I'm not going to lead a miserable life. I'm not going to be down. I will be happy. And she said to her niece, and I'm happy. 
I talk about my husband. I make fun of him. I tell jokes about him. And yeah, do I miss him? Of course I miss him. But I'm a happy person. And that's something that when people go through tragedies, and you know, I, I, I know unfortunately too many, and it's like an attitude. There are people out there that they can be happy. I tell this to my wife, my kids. I said, whatever situation we're in, you don't like where you live, you don't like how much money you have, you don't like your clothes, you don't like your car, you don't like fret, whatever it is. There are things that can make us unhappy, and we have to make a choice. Do I want to be happy? So I'll, the other things are in my way. It's true. I wish they were different, but I can still choose to be a happy person. If I choose to be a happy person, I will be happy. I'll be pleasant to be around. I'll have friends. And all the other stuff will just fall by the wayside. While if I allow, it's not choosing, it's just allowing. If I allow all the rotten stuff around to make me crazy, it'll make me crazy. It's completely my choice. And I didn't tell this Carol this idea. She said it without my prompting, but just such a good, healthy lesson that the whole delays and meeting and schmoozing was just worth it for that one thought. Just one thing about people who don't know Waze. It's, um, you know, Waze does help you. I use it all the time. So she's, gonna, she's not going to take me to her house and have me take a, an Uber to go get uh, to my mother's house. She's going to drive me the whole way. This is, we're family. But I didn't realize she had no idea the right way to get to my mother's house. We're going up to Palisades, for those who live in that area, you know, Rockland County. And my mother lives off of Route 45. So you're supposed to take the Palisades up to 45, two minutes off the highway. Instead, she gets off two exits earlier. And she's not using any GPS. She knows exactly where she's going. She hits every back road imaginable. And I'm not saying a word. But it did take an extra, like, 10, 15 minutes because she's just driving the way she remembers. She's not interested in uh, GPS or ways telling what to do. But it was a pleasant, nice ride, appreciated ride, great lesson. Had a great time getting together with family. Just one more about that whole trip. So I was coming back on a 6 o'clock flight the, um, the next morning. So my sister lives uh, 10 minutes from LaGuardia. So I tell my sister, okay, I'm going to sleep over by you. And they had just come back from a long trip in Chicago. And, and he was saying, oh, you probably have to get up at 4. I'm so tired. I said, don't wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning for me. I'm going to Uber. I'm going to get out of bed at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to Uber. I'm going to get to the airport. And you will sleep. And sure enough, like in the old days, it was like almost like, of course, your brother-in-law, sister-in-law, aunt, uncle are going to drive you to the airport. That's ridiculous. I mean, it's a nice favor. Don't get me wrong. I love favors. But not a favor that's gonna, that you're going to be so upset that you had to get up for. Like, why? It's just so easy. So I took the Uber, and, uh, and I have no idea what the spelling mistake is on my paper over here. Why did it say almanacs? Anyways, whatever. Um, but let's talk this week's story portion. Here we go. So this week's story portion, uh, a little bit of a continuation from last week. We're in the middle of all the tests with Abraham. And last week's Torah portion, Abraham had brought his nephew Lot with him. They go down to Egypt. They became wealthy. Um, Abraham's shepherds and his nephew's shepherds, Lot, were fighting. 
So Abraham said, it's time to move away. We talked about that. You listened to last week's show. I think I posted it. But you listened to last week's show, and we'll get there. But there was a problem in the fact that Lot chose to move to Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Everybody knows about those places. Certainly horrible places. The people there were just not good people. Why weren't they good people? Because they had laws... You know, you know, I don't get into politics, but um, if you are, if you, if you don't believe in what we'll call social justice, forget about Republican, Democrat. If you don't believe in taking care of people, if you believe everybody's on their own and should take care of themselves, then you get into the Sodom complex. They were a wealthy area. They were their laws in the books were anti-charity. You can't give charity, you can't give people food, you can't take care of people. Somebody from out of town comes, you you, uh, for sure don't feed him or take care of him in any way. So they were like anti-charity. And the world, God does not want a world of people who are anti-charity. So I know on both sides of the fence, everybody loves charity, everybody wants to help. So we're not getting into that at all because it's not what I'm interested in. But this Sodom was 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 a really rotten place. The, um, the Medrash has funny stories. Abraham had sent down his, his servant to check out the situation. And he's there, and somebody sees a stranger, picks up a rock, and hits him on the head, and he bleeds. So the servant, Eliezer, takes the guy, probably a big servant, takes him to the court and says, Judge, this guy made me bleed. He hit me with a rock. He has to pay. Sounds a little bit like too, too uh, like focused on right and wrong, but okay, fine. So the judge says, well, you know, bloodletting is very healthy. You have to pay a doctor. You owe him. You, slave, have to pay the guy who threw a rock at you. You got to pay him for healing you by bloodletting. Okay, Eliezer picks up a stone, hits the judge on the head, and says, okay, so now you owe me, so you pay him for me. Okay, that's one story. Another story is he shows up at a wedding. Now, the rule was you could not come uninvited to a wedding, and if you came invited, like if somebody invited you to come, that guy was going to be punished. You have to take off his clothes. Okay, crazy. That's what they did. It was like so funny because I'm getting ready for two weddings, and and the attitude is like so different. I send out a, a, all my invitations. Okay, it's on the East Coast. So my friends here are not coming. I get it. But I'm not really taking tabs of who's coming to the wedding. I have a basic idea. And in Lakewood, they're very good at this. You just put names on the table, Jacobs and friends, Jacobs and friends, Jacobs and relatives. Just put it out. You show up. You don't have to call me and tell me you're coming and how many people. All that stuff you don't got to do. It's not necessary. I hope you flipped on the air conditioning. Um, you, 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 you just come. We'll find you a seat. I have a friend making a wedding in town next week. I've been begging and pleading with him. I said, don't set tables for all the people who say they're coming. They're not all coming. You shouldn't worry about it. And if they all come, they'll figure it out. Like, it's like, why waste all the money? Because I'm telling you that there's that 15% not showing up and you're going to pay for the spots. What are you bothering? But anyways, that's our weddings. Like, who cares? If you're my friend, I expect you to come without an invitation. And if you really, really need the invitation, you're probably not really, really my friend. Anyways, but in any case, so Eliezer sits down by the table. And um, thanks for smiling, Alan. Okay, very good. Um, in any case, sorry about that. Um, in any case, um, he sits down and a guy says, uh, who invited you to this wedding? 
And Eliezer turns to whoever this fellow was and says, you did. Me? What? Hope nobody's listening. Hope no one's paying attention. Huh? The guy runs out. And Eliezer keeps moving down the table and doing this to every guy in the room because nobody wants to be accused of inviting a guest. So Eliezer had a nice wedding feast all to himself. Anyways, those are all different midrashim talking about the actual story. But in any case, Sodom was a wicked place. And we're getting closer to my point, I hope. So the angels come at the beginning of this week's Torah portion. Abraham invites them in, and he feeds them, whatever it means they ate, whatever it means he saw angels. He invites them in, and one tells Sarah she's going to have a baby in a year. One is there to heal Abraham from his circumcision. And that one is also going to save um, Lot. He's going to go down to Sodom. And the third one is going to destroy Sodom. So they finish. They head down to Sodom. On the way down, God tells Abraham, I just want to let you know that these five cities that you take care of all the travelers between Sodom and the other parts of the country, I am destroying these five cities. So again, I've already given you the background. There are wicked cities. They don't allow charity. It was a death penalty if they caught you giving charity. It was a, you know, this was not the kind of place. These were not nice people. I mean, they may have been nice to themselves, nice to, to similar to their neighbors, but to outside strangers, to poor people, they were nasty people. So, so as soon as God tells Abraham that these five cities are being destroyed, Abraham starts to pray, God, what if there's 50 righteous people, 10 righteous people per city? You can't save the city for the 10 righteous people. And God says, if I could find 10 people per city... Save them, no problem. How about nine? You know, God, you'll be the tenth one. You're going to destroy them because there's only nine per city. God says, no problem, Abraham. If there's nine per city, I save them all. God, what about uh, 40 people, say four cities, 30 people, three cities, 20, get the picture, 10 people, one city. God says, I would if I could, but there isn't. So now the angels see there's no hope. So the angels make their way down and they're going to save Lot. We'll get to that part of the story if I have time. So interesting enough, my son actually asked me this question this morning. My son um, loves to get rides to school. It happened to have been raining this morning. So this morning he deserved a ride. It's, I don't know, four or five blocks away. But 6.30 in the morning. So um, as my wife tells me, even though that's my private study time, I studied um, Talmud by myself. It's quiet. No one bothers me. And my son will ask me for rides. So I could say, you know, lazy person, go, you know, just walk. Or I could say he himself is going to school early. He's happy to go to school early. He's happy to go study. He's happy to go pray early. So my wife always says to me, I had my turn when I was younger to be, you know, focused on myself. Now you have children. You take care of children. The kid needs a ride. He doesn't need the ride. He wants the ride. But he's a good boy. He's doing what he's supposed to do. So I give him the ride. Yes, it means I have to interrupt whatever I was doing. But we do it every morning. He makes his cup of coffee. He gets, you know, he moves around. I hear him in the kitchen. He comes in. He has his coffee. He has whatever he has to take. And he says, can I have a ride? And I say, sure. So I drive him. So while we're driving, he asks the question that I actually wrote down a week ago when I was uh, thinking what I wanted to talk about. And the question is, why does Abraham care about these wicked people? Yes, Abraham is kind. He wants to help people. These are really, really horrible people. 
They are anti-charity. They are anti-the poor. They care only about themselves. Why, why is he trying to save them? Like, for what? And even in the prayer, right? What does he say? God, come on, if you can find some righteous people, you won't go ahead and save them. Like, like Abraham himself recognizes that if there's nobody righteous in town, they don't deserve to be around. So why does Abraham care about these people? God says they're wicked. You believe in God. You work for God. God says they're wicked, so destroy them. God, if these are wicked people, get rid of them. Now, by the way, we've sort of touched on this over the last couple of weeks. The difference between Noah and Abraham. God tells Noah the world's being destroyed, so Noah doesn't pray for the world. We said Noah just takes care of himself. That's the only way he can stay special and righteous is to insulate himself. And we said Abraham is much better because he, he I don't want to say the word cares, but because he is going to pray to protect the rest of the world. But at the end of the day, I think the question is still a fair question, and that is, why is Abraham trying to save these wicked people? So this was the question that my son asked me this morning. Um, interesting. I, I really didn't write much of an answer because it, it was one of these things I wanted to write the question down in my notes and then, um, and then think about it. Let it bounce around in the head. What do I really think? And this is what I told my son this morning. I said, Abraham felt, believed, and that really ties into all the tests. Abraham has a goal in life. His goal in life is to teach the world there is a God. Forget all this idol worship. Forget all these, the sun, the moon, the stars, powers. Everything is God. There's a God above everything. God created the world. God cares about you. God wants you to serve him. But you got to believe there's only one God. Not all this idol worship stuff. So Abraham wants to teach the world there is a God. That is his overriding goal. He, he has his hospitality home so that when people come, he has to teach them. You make a blessing. There's a God. Everything he does. That's why all the tests are so hard. Because all the tests, especially the last one, when the binding of Isaac, when he's going ahead and he's sacrificing his child... Okay, he doesn't in the end, but he thinks that he's going to have to sacrifice his child. All that stuff, right, is, is anti what he's been teaching everybody. I'm teaching the world there's a God. God doesn't want human sacrifice. Um, okay, Abraham, sacrifice your kid. So that will just destroy. It'll be like a house of cards. Like Abraham's been teaching the world there's a God. When they see him sacrifice his kid, so they say, Abraham, everything you taught us is out the window, right? So can can you do that? You have your way that you believe is the correct way to serve God. God comes along and tells you, you have no clue. This is not what I want from you. Can, can you make a 180? Can, can you do it? So, of course, Abraham can do it, right? But, but that's why it's a test. So that's, again, that's something off to the side, but let's, let's refocus now. So Abraham... So Abraham, his goal is to teach the world there's a God. So I don't care if you're wicked. I don't care if God wants to destroy you. But I got to tell God, look, God, I'm trying to teach these people that you exist. Right? Don't destroy them. Give them a chance. Maybe if I have more time to work with them, to teach them, they'll, they'll learn from me. I'll, I'll get more out there. I'll let people know what you're all about and why they're wicked. Give me a chance to deal with them. So God says I'm not letting 
this time, God's going to say, I am not allowing you. These people are too far gone. I am not letting you work with them. But we understand what, what Abraham is trying to do. He's not, you know, I think I wrote the word like a humanist. He's not like that he loves, maybe he does love mankind. It's possible that Abraham loved mankind, but I don't really believe that's what it was. Abraham loves God. And he wants, and he knows that his job is to teach the world about God. Yes, successful, not successful. Being successful is not up to Abraham. That's up to everybody else. But he knows he has a purpose. His purpose is, let's teach the world there is a God. So, of course, I deal with wicked people. Who else am I talking to? Right? The righteous guy who knows about God, he doesn't need my help. I'm out there to help the world learn there's a God. In that case, so God, don't destroy these people. Because if I can get through to them, they could become good. That is what Avram was trying to accomplish. It was not a personal that I that I wanna that I love people. It's and, and, and again, it's like there's no self to Abraham, right? That's all part of the picture over here. I am just serving God. That's why when there's a test, and the test seems to change. What Abraham believes in, it's no problem. Because Abraham's entire purpose was to serve God. He thought God wanted one way. So God says, I want a different direction. So I'll do the different direction. It's no problem. Okay. So let's, in our last couple minutes, so let's get back into what's happening over here. So the angels are on their way down to Sodom. And Lot is by the gate. He sees these important people showing up. He sees their angels does he recognize them as angels? Does he think they're just very important people? Not so clear. Not so clear. It sounds like that they look like people, and they must have looked very important because the language of the verse tells us that Lot thought they were important, and Lot begs and pleads with them, come to my house. Um, I want to let me feed you. I'll take care of you, which, again, is anti the laws of Sodom. But he grew up in the house of Abraham. So the ideas of mercy were ingrained, not as good as Abraham. But at least the, the idea was there that Lot understood that a person has to be hospitable, has to take care of people. The only interesting thing is the language of the verse. By When Abraham takes care of the three angels, the verse clearly says he thought they were just like traveling like regular people. While when Lot is taking care of them. It clearly, the verse uses a different phrase. It actually calls them angels, but it's clear that he understands they're important people. So there's a, a famous story with the Briskarov, a great rabbi in Europe. So I saw my class this week. Nowadays, when great people travel, great rabbi travels, so the whole world knows. Email, you, you name it, whichever social media, they can't travel anywhere without the whole world knowing what's going on. It's impossible. They can't go anywhere. So as soon as they start moving, the world knows. So there's going to be a crowd. They can't get away from people. People want to knock down their door for blessings. They can't live. The world is knocking at their door. But 100 years ago, 150 years ago, nobody really knew um, when great rabbis were traveling, and half the time they didn't even recognize them. They didn't have the pictures and the videos and the stuff. They didn't know. So the Briscoe travels to a town. No one knows who he is. He, he shows up, I don't know, 7, 7.30. He, um, he knocks on the inn, and the innkeeper says, Oh, I'm closed ready for the night. I don't got no place to put you up. Oh, I just need a place. The Briscoe says, he doesn't say who he is. 
I just need a place to, you know, just a bed, put my head down. No, go. There's a poor guy. He's a teacher. He make a left. He's three doors down. He'll probably let you in. So he goes, knocks on the door. This poor person opens the door. He says, can I stay here tonight? So the poor man says, of course you can stay here. I'll be honest with you. I just have a little bread, a little water. My bed's not so comfortable. But if you're okay with it, I'm okay with it. So he says, next morning, they're all by prayers, and somebody notices, recognizes this great rabbi. Now all the whispers, oh, Briscoe, Briscoe, great rabbi, he's up front. And everybody gets in line after prayers, and they all want to start talking to him. And, and the innkeeper um, is in line. He comes to the Briscoe. He says, oh, don't stay by this poor guy. Come to me. I'll give you a private room and bed and all the food you need. I'll take care of it. My honor. So the Briscoe says to him, you do kindness like Lot. You do kindness because you, it's for you. I'm an important person. You want to do kindness to me. For that, I have no use for you. You got to be kind like Abraham. So my music is playing, so they tell me. And I hope you enjoyed it short and sweet. Thank you, of course, to our wonderful sponsors and listeners. You know, I can't do it without you. Thank you to our production team. I have David and Andy behind the table. I hope you some food for thought. Until next time, I am Rabbi Sweet Jacobson. You've been listening to Let's Talk Torah and Enter the Streamcast. Until next time, don't forget to think about it.